Welcome back, you guys, to Katie Wonders. My name is Katie Dalebout. I am your host, and it is my birthday. And I wonder if you know. So, in honor of my birthday, on today's episode, I am taking your questions that I asked you guys in our amazing Facebook crew which is the Facebook group that is so awesome at building community and making this a two-way conversation between you and I and you guys with each other, not just me talking to my microphone and a blank computer screen like I'm doing right now. The community and the Facebook crew is where it happens. So a couple weeks ago, I asked if you guys had any questions for me at all since usually I'm not the one in the hot seat. Usually there is a guest there and I'm just guiding the conversation curating the guests and so you don't really get to know me that much you have in the last several months that I've started this mini series Katie Wonders when I've been sharing my favorites for the month and through the stuff that I share all over the place I feel like I'm emoting all over the internet through my writing and other things I'm sure you guys know me but I thought this would be a great way for us to get to know each other even a little bit better so for every question that I'm answering of yours You guys should go in the Facebook crew, link in the show notes, and answer some of those questions yourself. So let's get right into it. The only thing I want to plug before I start answering questions is my book. If you haven't checked it out, I wrote a book this year. It just came out last month. Last month. It's crazy that's already May. The book has already been out for about a month. It came out April 5th, and since then I've been really letting go of the book and letting it be everyone else's experience and it's been so cool to see people's reactions with the book and how they're using it and I'm I'm really proud of this thing that I created so go check it out buy a copy for yourself on Amazon and maybe for a friend maybe head into Barnes and Noble all of the above I'm also doing a little bit of a book tour so I was just in New York and the next place I am is here in Detroit for my launch party here on May 14th and then on May 22nd I'm in LA and then Columbus Ohio and then Toronto and there's a lot of information on that on my website link to that is in the show notes so hopefully I get to meet you and give you a hug on my book tour but until then we'll hang out in the Facebook group and on the podcast so let's get into these questions all right so before I get into these questions just a quick FYI I'm reading them for the first time and I'm just going to do what comes to mind for me today. So my answers to these might change in five years, in a week, maybe they'll change by the end of this podcast, who knows. So I'm just going to do what intuitively comes to me. I'm not really thinking them through, I was going to do that, but then I didn't really have time and I really wanted to put this out by my birthday, so maybe this can become an annual thing. Tell me if you like it, or maybe you want it to be more than annual and you want it to be monthly, or if you have more questions, let me know. So let's get into them. First question, what is the biggest lesson you've learned about family? Nice question. Really like that. Pete Holmes asks something similar on his podcast, and I love people's answers. So the biggest lesson I've learned about family is that the fate of the clan is not your fate. And that's not my quote. I don't really know where I heard that, but I heard that somewhere. Basically, the fate of your family does not have to be your fate. You can go beyond the limits of your family. You know, if your family taught you through their actions, you know, how to be, it doesn't mean that that's how you have to be. And you can be different from them and that's okay. And also 
on the other side of that, take what you want from them. Take what you got from them that is wonderful and focus on those parts of family. And basically, just don't be afraid to become who you are. And there are parts of you that are directly influenced by your family and there will be other parts of you that are so uniquely you and sometimes those things can get lost you can just be recreating old patterns from your family and I think the next lesson about family that I would also say is sometimes distance really does make the heart grow fonder and having just a little bit of distance or some space between you and how you grew up and maybe where you grew up and where your family is can really be helpful to you. It was helpful to me and it helps you figure out who you are beyond them and develop some self-awareness that I think is really important and it was important in my maturity. So that's what I'll say about that. Next question, what is the biggest lesson you've learned about career? So when it comes to career, I'll give this one piece of advice. I could take this in lots of different ways, but I heard this somewhere, don't remember where, and the line is, come to your boss with solutions, not problems. So whether you're working for yourself or you're working for a corporation or a manager or with someone, come to whoever you're working with with solutions instead of problems. And that really means just going ahead and handling things. So. If something happens that's a fire drill or something you need to take care of, instead of going to them and saying, this is what happened and how do you think we should proceed, instead go to them and be like, this is what happened and here are some options of solutions for how we can handle that. And that's much more calming to a person. If someone comes to me as a manager and says to me, you know, hey, this is what happened, but I found these solutions, which one would you like me to go with? is way better than coming to me and being like, this happened, what do you think we should do, right? So I think it's just about being a girl boss and handling it. When you're your own boss, it's really the same thing. When something happens, when a problem arises, because they're going to, that's life, figure it out. Everything is figure outable. If you just take a moment, take a step back, take a deep breath, and don't freak out, and just take one step forward into coming up with a solution instead of focusing on the problem. When you focus on the solution, it can mend the situation much quicker than harping on the problem. And the last question from this person, what is the greatest lesson you've learned recently? Again, could go a lot of ways with this answer, but I'm going to say the greatest lesson that I've learned recently has come from Elizabeth Gilbert's new book, that is a collection of essays for the anniversary of the release of Eat, Pray, Love. And it's called Eat, Pray, Love Made Me Do It. And basically there are all these short essays people wrote about what the book Eat, Pray, Love inspired them to do. And Elizabeth Gilbert herself wrote the introduction to this book. And in the introduction, she says, the common thread between all these essays is that they read this book and it gave them permission. It gave them a way to see Life doesn't have to be like this anymore. I am in power. I can change. I am in the driver's seat of my life. And I think that's the greatest lesson I've learned recently, that if something happens in my life that I want to change, I can do that. I can control that or I can find acceptance in it if I can't. And I think that's a really powerful lesson no matter what's going on in your life. 
It's really just about taking responsibility for your life completely and knowing that you are in charge of your destiny and your fate. And if you believe that you can have everything that you desire, then you can. And if you believe that you can't, then you won't. So it's really about changing those beliefs. And Cheryl Strait says, you know, you can only blame your parents until you're 30. And then you have to take responsibility for your life. And I think whatever age you are, just take responsibility right now. And know that you can only have as big of a life as you can dream for yourself. And we are capable of so much more than we can even dream. So I think just dream big and take action and move forward towards where you want to go every single day, even though it might not be much or seem like much, just keep going. And I really do think it'll all work out. And maybe that's naive, but that's where I'm headed. All right, next question. I'm curious to know, how did you get the, all the wonderful publicity in the health and wellness world? Is it just through personal networking? I would love to know details. Smiley face. All right, so thank you, first of all, for saying the wonderful publicity. I think it's all kind of relative. I just think of it not really so much as publicity as much as people sharing my work, um, which I'm so grateful for and is awesome. I I will say it, it doesn't really happen by accident. I think we create our own luck and we enhance our own luck. I think that is really what I believe. I think we enhance our own luck. But... As far as the publicity that I've gotten recently, a lot of that has come as a result of my book being out in the world. And I think when you write a book, there's a certain amount of buzz that is created and honestly you need. As you can see, I've been talking about the book a lot because to be very honest and real with you guys, I want this book to sell a lot of copies enough for my publisher to deem it a success. And I got the number of how many would need to sell for the publisher to deem it a success and it kind of made me like that's a lot oh my goodness so that's why I want people to buy it so much because if they deem it a success then I can write another book with them and that is my hope because I really want to have another book out there in the world and if the book doesn't sell well it would be a tough sell to have another book out in the world eventually so that's my hope and I think you know to do that you have to talk about the book a lot and my audience is relatively small comparatively to a lot of people so I really have to ask for help and so that's just what I did when the book came out is I humbly I'd been promoting other people's work for no other reason than I thought they were cool and I wanted to have a conversation with them on my podcast and then other people would hear eventually but when I started no one was listening so when the book was coming out I emailed everyone who had been on my podcast and I just humbly said look I wrote this book I'm really proud of it here's a early digital copy of the book check it out if you like it and think maybe some of the people who follow you might like it maybe you could share about it if not no worries I hope you're wonderful thank you again so much for coming on the podcast see you later And luckily, a lot of them helped out. And a lot of people were like, yes, that's amazing. I love this book. I'm going to share about it. Or please come on my podcast. Or let me tweet about that for you. Or whatever. And I'm so, so grateful to all of them. So hopefully that answers your question. And yeah, let's move on to the next one. All right, next question. When the show ends and you say bye to your guests, is it goodbye or do you chat afterwards? Just something I thought of today after the OMFG ladies were on. 
Okay, cool. So that's a great question. It depends. It depends on the person. There are some people who I will end up talking to afterward for maybe an hour or more and some of them I might like get their number right then and become friends with them and talk to them and some of them have become such close friends to mine that I end up visiting them and staying with them and talking to them all the time. I think you guys know a couple examples of that. You know, the first time I met Carly was on my podcast. She was like my second episode. She's one of my best friends and I've visited her and we talk all the time. And Heather Waxman, like three years ago, I I met her that way. And, you know, other people I know before they come on the podcast. So that's interesting. Um, With OMFG, that's funny. That one, I had met them before because I was on their podcast. And then when I had them on my podcast, I was really excited. And theirs is a much shorter show. And I'm really taking after some of my podcasting heroes like Pete Holmes who goes sometimes two hour, definitely two hours, sometimes more, two and a half, three hours long on his show. And that's kind of where I'm moving towards. I just don't want to cut off the conversation inorganically after an hour if that's not, you know, when the ending of it naturally is. And with Emily and Deanna of OMFG, they didn't know that that was the type of long-form show that I had, so they only allotted an hour, and they had to do an episode of their show right after, and so I was, like, you know, just taking my sweet time going through the interview, and I hadn't gotten to, like, any of the normal questions that I ask, which maybe you guys noticed, and they, Emily was texting me, like, hey, we need to wrap up, and they were, like, emailing me, because they didn't want to say that during the interview, but I always put my phone on airplane mode during the interview, so I can be really present and it's one of the few that's why I love doing these interviews because it's one of the few times in life that you can just sit across from someone for me most of the time it's on the computer and be completely present completely uninterrupted by your phone or checking your text because that's rude when you're on a podcast so I wasn't looking at my phone and they ended up having to be like, oh, hey, we actually have to go. We have a podcast. We're so sorry. We'll come back on. We'll do it later. And I was like, no, 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 it's okay. I think we got enough. This is great. We'll have you on another time again and do more. So I didn't end up talking to them after, but then I actually talked on the phone to Emily the other day, and um, we've kept in touch, and I'm going to see them when I'm in L.A. in a couple of weeks. So, you know, the relationships kind of just build organically. There are some people definitely that I've gotten closer to. There's other people that were just really busy and had a call right after, and I didn't really get to know very well, but everyone that I've had on the podcast has genuinely been very, very nice pre- and post-call, That you, the stuff that gets edited out, the stuff that you guys don't hear. So... Everyone's been really awesome, and yeah, that's a really fun question. I love that question. Next up, we have a question from Amber. She says, what's the best gift you ever received, and what's your favorite gift to give? Mm, Love this question. Okay. I really love gift giving um, and receiving. Let's be real. My friend Simi told me recently that if you guys are familiar with the five love languages... It's a book, um, and it's very fascinating. And she kind of diagnosed me to say that my love language is gift-giving and gift-receiving. So I don't doubt that. I grew up with an amazing family. My 
mom and aunt are like huge gift givers and for my birthday they just showered me with gifts and so I, I love the act of giving really thoughtful gifts not re-gifts not giving junk to give junk but something that someone's really been wanting or something that makes you think of someone and I think the best gifts to give are gifts that you're really excited about yourself maybe something that you have and you want to share I think that's why I love what I do online I really think of myself as an enthusiast of content and a curator and that's what I do with the work that I do here is I share people that I love through interviews I share resources that I love books that I love things that I love through my Katie Wonders episodes my favorites episodes and I'm really just you know promoting things that I love and sharing things not really promoting them just being like hey I really like this new you know shirt maybe you guys would like it too and I gifting really allows me to do that in a very tangible way so I I my favorite types of gifts to give are gifts that I already have so something in my life that you know like let's just say I found this tea that I love so much and I know this person loves this certain type of tea as well and I am obsessed with it so I'm going to give it to them as a gift and I know they're going to love it and that's like my favorite thing ever And then the best gift I've ever received, hands down, someone special gave me my podcasting microphone. I use the Blue Yeti mic, if anyone's curious. That's what I record on as we speak. And someone gave it to me as a gift. I had no clue if podcasting was going to be something I was going to stick with or do. And then someone gave that to me very early on. And here I am three years later, over three years later, and I'm still at it, still with that mic. So that's the best gift. Next question. I'd love to know if you have any advice on emailing or reaching out to key influencers. You have incredible guests on the pod and seem so well connected. Any advice for how to do it slash how you did it in the beginning when you were first starting out would be amazing and super helpful. Also, kind of related, any advice for finding slash reaching out to mentors? Thank you in advance. Love, love. Okay, love you too, Jesse. first of all. And that's a great question. So they're both very related, those questions. When it comes to reaching out to people in general, whether it's to be when you want something from someone, right, whether it's for them to come on your podcast or for them to become your mentor, I think The first thing is to just be immersed in their work. So I don't ask anyone on the podcast that I'm not super familiar with their work. So I'll read their books. I will watch their YouTube videos. I will consume their content, right? So then that way when I'm reaching out to them, I can just humbly say, thank you, first of all. Thank you so much for your work. It's had this tremendous impact on me. And just humbly thank them. That's that's all. And then, you know, I might ask them a question, like, I would love to help you in some way. And I think when you're finding a mentor or you're asking someone for a favor, even though, yes, I would love for them to come on my podcast, if I can figure out a way that I can help them, and especially in finding a mentor, you know, when I had Gabby Bernstein become my mentor, it wasn't by accident. It was because, and this is something I actually learned from her through consuming her work, but I didn't ask her how she could help me. Like I didn't, the first thing I said to Gabby wasn't, hey, will you write the forward to my book and come on my podcast and host my book launch party? Like I didn't say any of those things to her. That was amazing and she ended up doing all those things for me. But 
you know, about five years ago when I first discovered her and found her work, I worked as a intern for her and I did her social media and I asked how I could help her. I was just like, I will do anything. I will work for you for free. I want to learn from you. I want to get to know you and I think you're awesome. And that's what I said. And just know that relationships take time to build. It wasn't for a very long time before I asked people for things. I think it's it's first, you know, humbly thanking them and and then also figuring out how you can help them because you might be thinking, you know, well, I don't have anything to give to this person who is really established in their career. I have nothing I could do to help them. Well, maybe you are really good at um, this one particular area that you know a lot about. Maybe you know way more about Snapchat than they do or you know way more about something, anything, Periscope, whatever it is, cooking, and you can help them in some way, that I think is really powerful. So just figure out how you can help them and then put that in the message to them. And then also, I think, reach out without an agenda just to thank them. And then, you know, if you do have something that you do want to do, like have them on your podcast, what I always say is that I would love to promote your work to my audience. You know, you can talk about whatever you really are passionate about and maybe you have something that you want to tell them about and that's great you know here's my audience and they would be receptive to hear that and that's the case for me now because I have an audience but at the beginning I didn't have an audience no one was listening to this it was literally just me and so I'm so grateful to all the guests who said yes back then when there wasn't a lot of people listening and they didn't really have a platform to share their work with because they do now right now when people find my show they go back and listen to the archive and I kind of cringe at the archive because I didn't really know what I was doing back then or have a microphone but people love those episodes and now when they were originally coming on the podcast I had zero listeners and now lots of people are going back to listen to those episodes so I think you know I'm so grateful for them saying yes and they did and you just have to get one yes and then you know Asking another person on the podcast is a little bit easier because you can be like, hey, Latham Thomas, Isabel Fox and Duke did the podcast and Gabby Bernstein did the podcast. Do you want to do it too? And then they'll be like, sure. And, you know, I think that does help. Building some credibility does help. And you can build that credibility just by being consistent, you know. I, speaking for myself, I would be way more apt to come on a podcast that has had, you know, a few episodes consistently than a podcast that has had an episode in June of 2013 and then another episode in 2014 and another episode last week. You know, I think seeing something like that doesn't seem as like they're committed as much as someone who does something consistently. So just be consistent, do what you do, do it well, and people will show up for you. That's really sums up that answer. All right, next question. What are your goals in life and how do you go about setting goals? All right, I'm going to need to take a sip of water for this one. Okay, goals in life. I'm going to try to keep this short. So I have a lot. I really want to travel a ton. I want to have a lot of freedom. I want to see the world and travel a bunch. Another goal that I have more recently more like 
what I'm working on in my life right now and trying to build is deeper community, deeper in-person community. That's why I'm doing this book tour largely. I want to meet people in person. I spend a lot of time on my computer with all of the different work that I do and I would really like to spend more time with my life, more time out of work and into life. I've been very career focused, I've been very focused on my work and I really want a community of my own. I really want, and I have that and I just wanna focus on that and build that and give more time to that because it's, it's really all that matters at the end of the day. It's not really the work, it's the life. And so I used to be so focused on making my body really perfect and beautiful and I transferred a lot of that when I got over it to making my work really perfect and beautiful. And now I want to go beyond all of those things and just make my life really not perfect but awesome and fun and wonderful. So that's the biggest goal I have right now. As far as like career goes, I want to do a lot more creative projects. I would love to do more with video, with film. I would love to explore different media mediums like that. I would like to write more. I'd like to write another book eventually. I would like to do a, I have a lot of ideas, a lot more ideas than I do time. So I really want to just explore those creatively and who knows which ones I'll have moving forward, but that's kind of where I'm focused now. And then she asks, how do you go about setting goals? I really like Danielle Laporte's desire mapping. I really like focusing on how you want to feel, not on the goal in particular. That really feels right for me because as Danielle says, you know, sometimes we reach a goal and we're like, uh, oh, this is it. Should have aimed higher, you know, or we far exceed a goal and we're like, man, this was easy. I should have really picked something more challenging. And so you, then you feel bad about yourself. And then when you don't meet a goal, of course, you don't feel good about yourself. So all of those scenarios are a losing game, right? So if you focus on how you want to feel on your way towards the goal, the feeling words of I want to feel free, I want to feel beautiful, I want to feel abundant, I want to feel feminine, I want to feel loved, I want to feel in communion, whatever it is, right? Focusing on those feelings along the way, that will bring you happiness, that will bring you joy. The actual outcome, the actual thing, right? The achieving, the goal of getting the car or getting into the marriage or the apartment or moving or whatever it is, those things are really just, they're distractions, you know, they they might seem like they're what we want, but then we re- achieve them and we're like, what's next? You know, I thought for so long that if I was a published author that like hey, all my problems would go away and everything would be beautiful. And it's really cool to have a book out there and like go into Barnes & Noble and see my book is fantastic. Don't get me wrong, but it doesn't mean that there is, I'm ready for the next thing. I'm ready for the next book. I'm ready, you know, there's all, we always want more. So I think it really is important with goal setting to focus on how you want to feel. As cliche as it sounds, it really is all about the journey. Next question. This one's easy. What is your biggest pet peeve? Biggest pet peeve is sounds. So particularly the sound of people eating hard candy Everything about that I cannot stand. The crinkling of the wrapper and then it goes into the mouth and then it's like slushing and slopping from side to side and like there's like the sucking of the spit. Ugh, just like talking about this gives me cringe. It makes me cringe. It's so irritating. And then it like hits their teeth back and forth and then there's that bite at the end which is like the worst part for my ears but also kind of the best part because you know it's over and then they swallow it and it's like done. 
Um, but I just really do not like that sound at all. I think I might have mild misophonia. And if you don't know what misophonia is, go Google it. Basically, it, it directly translated means hatred of sounds. And my friend who has come on the podcast, Jessica Mernan, on her podcast, One Part Plant, she has this disease, I guess you would call it, this um, phobia. And it's on her podcast as an entire episode you can listen to where she interviews this expert about it who made a documentary about misophonia. And the entire time I was listening, I was like, I think I have that. I think I have that. So I like self-diagnosed myself with that from listening to a 20-minute podcast. But check that out if you think you might have misophonia. It's pretty fascinating to me. Next question. What is something you never thought you could do, be, have, and you do now? How is it different than what you imagined? Hmm. I could take that a lot of ways, but I think, you know, I'll talk about the book. I I never thought I would write a book when I was younger. I never, I thought it would be cool, but I just never saw myself doing that. I never thought that I could. And it's really cool to just have this book out in the world that I created, and it's such a big document, and it was such a big undertaking to do that I feel really great and happy that it's out in the world, and I'm really happy about that, and I think I thought it would feel cool, and it does. It feels it feels pretty darn cool to have it out in the world. So it's definitely different than I imagined. It's different than I thought it would be, but it's it's equally as awesome. And I think it's just the beginning. You know, like I said, it hasn't even been out a full month yet, but I'm excited. I'm excited about whatever comes next. What product do you use for your curly hair? Okay, so that is an interesting question, and it's nothing. I use nothing on my curly hair or my straight hair. I don't use any hair. I use shampoo and conditioner, but I and I'll tell you that in case anyone's interested. Blue shampoo. So I use this shampoo called Shimmering Lights, and I have some balayage ombre painted in highlights in my hair. And I recently got more from my friends who are, they're so cool, you guys. They're opening this. They're going to come on the podcast. But my friend Ryan Cotton is this celebrity hairstylist. And he lives in New York and does a bunch of people's hair that are super famous, like Emma Roberts and Christina Applegate and so many really cool people. I love following his Instagram. And it's really expensive to open a storefront in New York City right now because it's mostly like chain restaurants that are coming into new spaces and places that are big corporations that have a lot of money because the cost of storefront space there is really high. Whereas where I live here in Detroit, it's low and it's easy for people to have these really cool businesses. And so what he's doing is he's opening this place here called the Village Parlor in the West Village of Detroit. And a couple times a month, he's still going to live in New York, but he's going to come in and just have a full day of appointments and do hair here. And so I actually got to hair model for him, and he did my hair, and he's making all these Instagram videos for his new Village Parlor Instagram, and he did my hair, which is amazing. And Eric, his friend, um, did the color, and he did the cut. So that's who did my hair and it's amazing. I get a lot of questions about that because they did such an amazing job. So to keep that color really 
nice between their visits to town, I used this shampoo called Shimmering Lights, and it's a purple shampoo. It's like very, very purple or like dark navy blue even. And I put that in my hair and I let it sit in my hair for a while and then I wash it out and it keeps my hair from getting brassy, like orangey. And so I highly recommend that shampoo to anyone who has blonde hair or dyes their hair blonde. It really works super well, so I love that. And as far as other hair products that I use, I really don't use any, like I said. If I'm wearing my hair straight, which is how you guys see it mostly, or like curled with a wand, that's not how my hair is naturally. That is done with a blow dryer and a curling wand. And I do that once a week. So I literally only wash my hair one time a week. And it just is so thick. Like when you guys meet me in person, you can touch it and feel it. But it's so thick and I have so much of it that you could take like a section of my hair and it's like how much hair someone has on their whole head. Like I just have a ton of hair. So does my mom. It's just the family I was born into. I don't know why it happened, but I do. And Ryan actually thins out my hair a bunch when he cuts it. So it's not even like all the hair that I have when you see me. It's crazy. So when I do it straight, that's the process is once a week, I have this special hair dryer that has a brush on it. I can put the link to that in the show notes as well. I'm terrified constantly that it's going to be discontinued because I don't know how I would blow dry my hair without this thing. It's like my I've used it since I was 13 and before that my hair was crazy because my mom would have to blow dry it for me and she didn't really know how to handle all of my hair and because it was even more hair than she had and so my hair was constantly frizzy and huge and this hair dryer thing that I found when I was 13 changed my life because I could do it myself. It's basically like being able to use a round brush on yourself, but I can't do that because I have so much hair and using a round brush and a blow dryer on yourself is really challenging and I'm just not good at it. So this hair dryer situation really helps me. So I use that and then I also will like go in with a curling wand every once in a while and kind of touch it up. So that's what I do all winter because I don't want to go outside with my hair wet But in the summer, I try to wear my hair, or I like to, and I would do this all year if I live somewhere warmer. I just come out of the shower with it wet. I squeeze it out. I, like, shake out all the water, and I just leave it. And it dries. Many of you have probably seen this, but it dries curly. It's more, like, really big wavy, I guess. And it's really big and... Yeah, I don't really put any product in it. I do have this sea salt spray from Herbivore Botanicals that I bought here recently locally and but you can get their brand online they might even be Canadian I'm not sure but yeah I really like that stuff because it smells really great and sometimes I'll spray that in my hair in the summer and it kind of it doesn't really do anything for my hair other than makes it smell good but I don't use that every time usually I just go outside with it wet and that's the way that my hair dries naturally so the only thing about that is like I never really know how to style it in the front it's just kind of it's very big because I have so much hair but my, one of my best friends here is also a really famous hairstylist, and now she is one of the owners of Drought Juice, which you might remember from one of my very first episodes. I had them on. They're five sisters who started my favorite juice company here in Detroit that has just expanded and is amazing, and they're going to come back onto the podcast for sure. You'll hear more of them, but Jessie, my friend, cuts hair, and she also has curly hair, and she's like an expert in curly hair, and what she told me recently, actually, she was just over last night and she was saying all you need is a a good haircut for curly hair and that's how your hair will fall naturally and it'll look good so she's gonna do that for me this summer and 
We'll see. We'll see if I wear my hair, end up wearing my hair even more curly in the summer. I love wearing it. I think it's more effortless in the summer. Obviously, it's more effortless because I don't have to blow dry it, but I think it works as like a summer look. And in the winter, I tend to blow dry it more because that feels better for me. So that was a very long answer, but that is what I do for my curly hair. All right, next question. Hi, Katie. You're such a badass at 26. We are the same age, exclamation point. And I have to ask, I'm sure you have faced doubts and resistance and probably some imposter syndrome. What tips do you have for moving past it and truly believing that you can do the things you want to do? Okay, duh, I have so much imposter syndrome. You know, I feel like an imposter right now. Like, I feel like I'm just pretending to podcast all the time. I feel like an imposter. And here's the secret. So does everybody else. Literally, everybody you admire, Oprah probably feels like an imposter. Beyonce probably feels like an imposter. I think it's, we all do. But the difference between Oprah and Beyonce and someone not doing anything is that they all felt like imposters, But Beyonce and Oprah kept going anyway, and that's really what I'm doing. There's this great Kurt Vonnegut quote. You guys have probably heard me quote this before, but he says, we are what we pretend to be, so be careful what you pretend to be. And basically what he's saying, I think, is fake it till you make it. I mean, I think whenever you start anything new or you're just trying to figure out what you even want to start. You're going to feel like a fraud. You're going to feel like you're pretending. But just keep going. Keep pretending. And eventually you're not pretending anymore. You're actually doing it. I just was pretending to podcast for a long time. And sometimes I still feel like I'm just pretending to podcast. But I'm going to keep doing it. And eventually I'll be a real podcaster in my mind. Or maybe I won't. But I think the choice is to keep going. I don't really have advice for how to not feel that way. I can just tell you I do feel that way all the time, but I keep going anyway, and you should too. Okay, this person has another question. Do you feel like you have a million ideas of things to start on? And if so, how do you decide which ones are worth acting on and which ones are just a shiny object? Can't wait to hear the episode. This These questions come from Lauren. Hi, Lauren. Okay. Yes. Oh my goodness. Yes, 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 yes. I so, so incredibly much have a million ideas and not enough time. And that is something that I'm really working on this year. And actually, to be very honest with you, I had a really super challenging moment with this a couple months ago this winter because I was working on so many different things at once. I was planning my book launch and my book tour and getting the book out in the world and I was working on other things and I was writing but not very well and I was writing essays and I was trying to work on another book and I was trying to work on another project and I was trying to keep up with the podcast and I was just like, I feel like I'm a master of none. I feel like I'm a jack of all trades and master of none. I'm doing a lot of things, but I'm doing none of them well. And it really hit me hard. I had an editor actually this this winter tell me that something I wrote was just really not good, basically. Like it was just poor quality and needed a lot of work. And it hit me hard because I was like, she's right. 
this is not my best work. I'm moving too fast and I need to slow down and I need to focus. If it's writing that I want to focus on, I need to focus on there. If I want to up-level my podcast, I need to focus there. If I want to bring this book out into the world in a really big way, then I need to focus on that. And I can't really be doing a half-assed job of a bunch of things. I want to be doing a full-on job of one or two things. And that is really challenging for me because I feel like, I want to do all these ideas and I can't choose and if I don't do them all now then they'll be gone or someone else will do them or I won't be as excited about them anymore and that's hard. I mean that's really hard but what I've decided to do is pick the ones I want to focus on now and choose those and stick with those but also take the other ideas that I have and schedule in when I'm going to work on them. So for instance, I have a really big project that you guys will hear about very soon that I'm going to be bringing out in the world soon. Very exciting, big news, you heard it here first. And I purposely didn't allow myself to work on that even though I had the idea over six months ago until I brought this book out into the world. And I have ideas for a second book and I'm just not working on that yet because I don't have the bandwidth to do it. And I maybe could, I maybe could do it all, but then I wouldn't have a life and I don't wanna do that, that's not, healthy for me I've done that in the past and like I was saying before I really want to focus on my life so my advice would be pick and again I'm no expert I'm just sharing my experience with this and all these questions same with the blue shampoo you know it's not for everybody but I would say choose one thing to work on now and the other ideas that you have whichever one you're most excited about do that one now and the other ideas Tell yourself when you're going to work on them. Don't just be like, oh, I'm not excited about those as much as this one, so I don't know if I'll ever do them. Be like, I'm going to reapproach those ideas in three months, six months, whatever it is, and put that in your calendar. Schedule it. So that's my advice. Next question. What is the hardest thing you've had to accept through this whole journey? What's something that isn't pleasant, but you've accepted it for what it is and you can move on from that? Okay, so that's a nice question. I'm going to just be really honest about this too. The biggest thing has been accepting my body the way it looks now, today, and knowing that it looks a lot different than it did two years ago, three years ago even, and of course before that. And... Knowing that whether this is where my body's meant to be or not, whether I've meant to, whether my body wants to be bigger than this or smaller than this or whatever, this is where I'm at today and none of that matters. So if I can just accept and hopefully find something that I love about this body and that I'm okay with at least, I I don't know about love for me right now, but I think just being like, okay, this is where I'm at today and For today, like in this 24-hour cycle, it's not changing. This is where I'm at. So I might as well make the best of it and accept it. And then I think when you do that, when you accept any current situation that you're in, then and only then can it change. You have to first accept it. And I give this advice to people all the time when they want to change a career or their body or anything. It's like accept where you are first and then the universe can change things for you. It can 
conspire in your benefit. But if you're clenching to this has to be different, this has to be different, this has to be different, the universe is like, oh, you're so clingy. Like, ugh, I don't even want to deal with you right now. Like, let go, you know? It's just like if you're texting a guy or a girl that you like and you're just texting them over and over again, like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, when are you coming? Can we hang out? Can we hang out? They're like, ugh. It's aggressive. Like, leave me alone, you know? The universe is the same way. You've got to play cool. You know, you got to play cool and just be chill about it. So acceptance of, hey, this guy's not texting me back. No problem. I'm going to go live my life and enjoy my life. And then what happens? He texts you while you're having so much fun with your friends and you don't even, like, care anymore, right? It's, it's all about playing it cool with the universe. So it's not about playing games. It's just about being making your life as a whole really great and so that's the biggest thing that was hard for me to accept with my body of like hey this is how it is today so quit trying to change it or getting nostalgic for how it used to be or comparing it to somebody else's body and just be like dude this is the body you have today it's great it's what you have so it's going to be great make it great and forget about it and just go live your life and I think again I'm telling myself this advice to follow it and to do it because I forget all the time but yeah, that's, that's where I'm headed. That's the goal. And I think when you do that, that's when things can change. You know, I tell this story to a couple of girls that I've been mentoring. Um, and one of them was living at home. And I remember I, she was one of my first clients ever, actually. And, and she was really not liking movie, living at home. She really wanted to move. She really wanted to be able to support herself financially enough to get out of the house. And I was in the same exact situation after graduation from college. I moved home. And I very much wanted to just make my income through the things that I was really passionate about and I really wanted to focus on that and I really wanted to move I really wanted to live in New York City or with my best friend from college had moved there my roommate or somewhere else I just really wanted to move I didn't know where I wanted to go I just didn't want to live at home anymore and I was so clenching to that idea and I was so depressed about that every day and every day I woke up was another day I lived at home and I was just upset all the time and then I started to completely changed my tune and I started to love living at home I loved hanging out with my mom I loved being able to make us food I loved being able to you know know where everything was and feel really comfortable and I got really comfortable with being at home and people kind of think you know don't get too comfortable or you'll stay I think it's the opposite I think it's get comfortable I I, at first when I moved there, I was like, I'm not going to make my room here nice. I'm not going to like take down my childhood stuff. I'm only going to be here for a little bit, so I'm going to just like power through it. But after I was there for like a month or so, I was like, no, I'm going to like make my room this really lovely space. And I made a meditation space in my room, and I like really made everything about being home wonderful. And I wrote on a Post-it note, I like drew this little picture, and I was like, there's no place like home. And I hung that on my bulletin board in my room. And just a couple months later, as soon as I accepted that, not a couple months, actually a couple weeks later, very few weeks later, I had an opportunity come that made me move to Detroit and that's why I'm here and I've been here ever since. And that happened, the universe gave me that opportunity because I had accepted where I was and I was so okay with that that it was like, all right, we can change these circumstances for her now because she has accepted where she is and she's not clenching to this new thing, this new shiny object, this change. She's not clenched to the change. She's okay with where she is. Now we can bring something else to her. And that's why things were able to transform in my life and that's why I was able to call in this opportunity. And it's so funny because when that opportunity came – 
I also wasn't clenched to one specific outcome. You know, I wasn't like, I have to move to New York to be with my best friend from college. I was like, that would be cool. I had no desire to move to Detroit. I'd never even like been here really. I didn't know anything about it. And I was like, oh, cool, that's interesting. I was open, so I wasn't clenching to any specific outcome. I probably still would have been living at home if I had been like, it has to be New York. So that's how that worked for me. And I've had that situation, that same scenario happen again and again and again in my life. And another example is with my book deal. You know, I made this book proposal. It was something that I really wanted to do. And I did it. I did the book proposal. And whether I got the book deal from that or not, I was just jazzed that I did the proposal. And from there, I was like, you know, if I get the book deal, great. Of course, that would be awesome. But if not, I'm going to make a rad ebook and sell that on my website. And that's going to be really cool too. And that was the path for this book. Obviously, it became a real book. Or not a real book, but it came, became a physical book that's in stores. And that's really cool. But I was unattached to that outcome. And that's why the universe brought it to me. So that's my secret to success in life is just be unattached. And there's a lot of content from Abraham Hicks about this. That's how I really learned this. I was applying it in my life just before, but I'm a big student of Abraham Hicks and their work really helps me a lot. So just Google them and you can figure out what that means. It's a lot and I can answer more questions on Abraham later if you want. All right, I'm having so much fun. I hope you guys are having fun too. What's the next question? What do you do when you're having a bad body image slash self-worth day? You ask your guests this all the time, but I want to know what you do. I'm having one of those days today, trying to find gratitude when I can, but man, is it hard. Oh, it's so hard. I'm so sorry, Claire, that you were having one of those days the day that you wrote this question, April 29th to be exact, at 11.05 a.m. because I'm reading this from Facebook. That really sucks, and I'm so sorry. Those days are terrible, and I really hope that today, the day I'm recording this, April 30th, 2016, you are feeling better because, yeah, those days are terrible, and I hope that you didn't allow it to turn into a bad body image couple days, and it was just a day. And they happen, you know? It can be as simple as being triggered by something not fitting or looking at yourself in the mirror or seeing a weird photo of yourself. And these days happen all the time. They happen to me all the time. I recently had my friend Abby, who you guys might know if you listen to the podcast. She's a photographer. She's amazing. She's a dear friend of mine. And she was here to do her fearless sessions, which are these it's her spin on boudoir photography. It's super cool and there's flower crowns and we get a really cool space and it's just women coming together and eating snacks and drinking champagne and taking amazing photos and getting her hair and makeup done and talking about body image and that's why I was there. I was there to kind of talk to people about body image and how let's make this day really awesome and let's choose to focus on the good parts of ourselves and not the bad parts, right? So that's literally why I was there. So we do this photo shoot. It's, it's all well and good. I have a great time. And Abby's so amazing at what she does. And she takes so many photos of you. And she's so good at just really making people look good, to be honest. And she mentioned that, you know, whenever she gives someone their photos, she gives them a lot more photos than 
they will like. She gives them a bunch and then they're gonna like some of them. She might like others that they don't like. So you're not gonna like every single photo taken of you ever, you know? Like the, there's always photos you like better and some that you don't. And I knew that going in. I knew that looking at these photos would be, you know, something that might be triggering for me, I guess is the word, but might make me feel feelings, right? So I was really excited too. And so I go in to look at these photos and it just really kind of made me tailspin, which is so funny because I was totally aware of this. You know, she had taken my photos three years ago for my blog and my website and a lot of the photos that you see, or two years ago, I guess, a lot of the photos that you guys have seen are those photos. And I look different than I looked then. I look a lot different. And I've aged two years and my body has changed a lot. And it just, that contrast was jarring to me. And it really took me out, to be honest. I was having a, one of those bad body image days like you were having, Claire. And I did a couple things, you know. I talked to people about it. I talked to friends about it. That's the biggest thing that helps me is I talk to people about it. I talk to my coach, my friends. I always were, am working with a coach. I'm always working with a mentor. And I wrote about it. I got it out of my head into my journal and so then I could see wait this is silly why am I feeling this way but I also validated myself like it's also yeah silly but it's also okay and I think I know why I'm feeling this way and I was able to kind of sort through it and decide how I was going to handle it and how I was going to most importantly get out of it and not stay in it and let it affect my day and my week and prevent me from getting done what I needed to get done and take me out so the first thing is just coming up with that awareness and then being like, what is the real issue here? Because a lot of times, you know, Isabel Fox and Duke always says, fat isn't a feeling, right? When you say, I feel fat, it's like fat is just a description. Like maybe you're really feeling like you're not good enough or you're really feeling like you're stressed at work and you feel like people are judging you because of the way that you look or whatever it is. So really focus on what the feeling is underneath things and then just amp up the self-care like way up like turn the notch on the self-care like way up so if that's watching netflix watch some netflix if that's you know going to yoga go to yoga if that's calling a friend and going on a walk do that it's do all of the things that make you feel good about yourself and get you out of your head and you know this one might be controversial but like don't look in the mirror a ton that day you know and then don't like focus on it it's just like I think it's like if you have a pimple and I get those trust me um you know I think if you just forget about it and like put some makeup on it and just go out and about your day you'll forget it's there and it won't be a big deal but if you like stay home and you keep noticing it in the mirror and touching it it's gonna get worse and it's gonna get bigger and you're going to be really sad about it all day. So just try to honestly distract yourself with good, positive things. I think that's really important. Okay, next question. How This is from the same person. This is from Claire. How do you get rid of guilt? I had a binge yesterday, and I told myself that I wouldn't beat myself up or feel guilty about it. But then all night and this morning, I'm fighting with myself and feeling so guilty. I think I cause more stress this way. How do I just let it go? Yes, you do cause more stress that way. So just remember this. Stress is worse on your body than anything you could have eaten, any amount you could have eaten, anything you could have done. The stress is worse for you. So just think of that first of all. And I know, Claire, you probably know that. So I just want to say you're not wrong. You're not wrong for overeating. I wrote a post for Over the Moon like two years ago about – 
that and the title was you are not wrong for overeating you're not a bad person <laughs> nothing's wrong with you like and I don't know what the extent of your binge was or, or what that actually means to you you know I think Isabel cal- classifies the word binge as you're eating and you maybe you overate and then you were like well I overate I'm gonna just keep eating because f it let's go right like let's call the the pizza place and I'm gonna go in the pantry and I'm gonna stand there and eat right that's binge eating, right? Overeating is when you, you know, ate past the point of fullness and you're like, oh, I'm a little bit too full right now because I had a great time with my friends eating tacos and it was so much fun. That literally happened to me the other night. And there was no guilt around that. I was like, that was a great night. I probably could have had, you know, one fewer taco for for my stomach not to feel so full. But also I wanted that taco and it was great and now I'm going to go to bed and that was really fun. So I can have nights like that and be totally fine. I think I tend to quote, binge more or not necessarily binge but like overeat more when I'm just like eating all my meals alone or I'm like spending a lot of time alone I think if I'm around people a lot it's easier for me to just be like oh I ate what I was going to eat and sometimes I wish there had been more food and more snacks at that gathering and I'm hungry and that happens and then there are other gatherings where I'm like wow there was an abundance of really good food like I was at my friend Jessie who I was mentioning and her wife Bianca was at their house the other night and they made this most Bianca made the most amazing pad thai. It was like a Thai situation. It was so good. It was like cashew sauce and like, oh my God, it was so good. I could talk to you about it all day, but I won't. But my point is I ate too much. Like I ate too much and I was like feeling extremely full, but I do not regret it for a second. I felt amazing. You know, like I didn't feel sick. I felt great. And the next day there was no guilt. But there have been other times when I'm when I'm alone and I'm like, oh, I ate too much. Oh, I'm just going to eat a bunch more. You know, I think that's when it becomes, quote, a binge. I think that's when it's like you're eating because you ate. You're eating because you're sad. You're eating because you're just like, well, diet starts tomorrow. Tomorrow I'm restricting, so I've got to get it in now, right? And that's something I learned a lot from Isabel Fox and Duke's episodes. So I would say go back and listen to her episodes. But just – As far as letting the guilt go, I don't have an exact formula, but I think it'll be similar to my answer to your other question, which was just let it go. Just distract yourself. Just do anything else. Like when you start to, when the guilt comes up in your mind, literally think of anything else, right? Like be like, this doesn't matter. I'm going to think of, you know, a relationship issue or a career issue or something funny that someone told me. It's like think of the pink elephant. Like anytime you start to count calories or restrict or binge or like, guilt yourself or worry just be like that is not a productive thought what else can I think about in this moment instead of that and just change quickly that's really important so hopefully that helps you and you have nothing to feel guilty about don't stress yourself out it's only going to make things worse you're wonderful you're beautiful and I hope whatever you ate last night was really yummy like the tacos and the pad thai that I ate Okay, this question comes from my amazing podcast producer, Amanda. Let's just like shout out to Amanda. She's so awesome. I love her. I'm obsessed with her. And she asks good questions. She says, what did you think your life would be like at 26 when you were 16? Oh, man. When I was 16, I had a surprise party. 10 years. Oh, my God. That was 10 years ago. Crazy. 10 years ago today, I had a surprise party. It was so silly, you guys. My mom made the guest list with like my friends but she didn't really know who my friends were and so I had like a very eclectic mix of like people who were my friends in middle school there and not all of my friends that were my friends at 16 were invited so they were like mad at me for not being invited but I also didn't even know I was having a party it was very intense and it was really fun 
But I was so shocked. I really had zero clue. And then she got a limo for us. <laughs> and we just like drove around where I grew up in this limo. It was very sweet. And there was lots of like candy and ring pops involved. It was very fun, but it's just very silly. So that's what my 16th, my sweet 16 was like. And what did I think that I would be doing at 26? Oh, man. I had no clue. I think what I really wanted to do back then was to be a TV news reporter, which is what I ended up studying in college and what I definitely thought I would do. I really wanted to be, when I was younger, an actress. I wanted to be like a Broadway star. And I really, honestly, what I still love about that is I love that moment after a show. I was in all the middle school plays and all the high school plays, and my favorite part of it was... Yes, I loved being on stage and performing and the community of it, but I really loved the after the show moment when you are still in all your stage makeup and your hair is done, but you put on your, you take off your costume and you put on your street clothes, literally like sweaty clothes or whatever you throw together, but your hair still looks amazing, your makeup's still really heavy, and you hang out with all your like theater friends, or you just like go about your daily life, but you're like, oh, I was just doing this really cool thing, and now my makeup's done, and that moment of like, it's kind of like after a workout, it's like, I just completed this great thing, and I'm proud of myself, and I'm having so much fun, and this is the aftermath, you know, it's like going to the grocery store in your workout clothes after a sweaty workout it's like a sign of look what I just did it's kind of like the same thing with after these shows and so I felt that I got like a hit of that doing broadcast journalism and so I think that's why I really like making videos and want to do more with video because I really like that performance element of things so I don't know I think at 16 I thought I would be having a really cool career and a job that I loved and I thought I'd be living in a big city and I had no idea what podcasts were because they didn't exist. I had no idea what blogging really was then or the weird thing is that I could never have imagined the career path that I have now back then because it didn't exist. So that's that. But I think I think that my 16-year-old self would be pretty proud of me. I think she would be like, oh, wow, you wrote a book? That's weird. You barely, you know, like, read all the books you're supposed to read in school, you know? So that would be cool for sure. I always liked English and I always liked writing, so I guess it would make sense. But I think it would all kind of come out of left field, to be honest. I thought I would be doing something more performy, and I don't really do that in a direct way, although I feel like I'm, you know, kind of doing that with podcasting and who knows, I'll, I'll probably be doing more of that in the future with, I want to do more with comedy and I want to do more with um, performance. So yeah, I'm just playing around with that stuff for fun now and maybe it will become part of my work in the future and I think that would definitely make my 16-year-old self really excited. Last question, this person asks, what is my typical day like? And oh man, I'm going to just say the annoying answer you don't want to hear, but it's different every day. I I work a lot. I do a lot of different things to make money. And so I do the podcast, which is obviously a huge passion project of mine. And I would like to be able to do it more full time. And that's where I'm moving towards. And I'd like to be able to write more. But right now I'm wearing many hats and doing many things at once. So my days are very varied. But I'll give you kind of just a idea of what a typical day could be like. Is that cool? Does that work for now? 
So like I said, since I have a lot on my plate and I've had a lot on my plate recently, I wake up very early and I sometimes go to a bar class or a yoga class or do some sort of a workout very early in the morning, like 5.30 early. And then I will... Or I'll go on just a walk. Sometimes I don't do that. Whatever, you know, I'll usually do some sort of movement. And then I'll do my TM meditation. So I am doing transcendental meditation, which more to come on that, but it completely changed my life and something that came into my life just this year. I've just only been doing it since January and really, really effective for me. Just works for me. 20 minutes in the morning, 20 minutes in the afternoon. It's fantastic. So I do that meditation in the morning. And then I usually get dressed right away. I will, sometimes I'll write for a little bit. I'll journal or I'll do some writing first thing in the morning before I even get dressed or out of my like workout clothes. But then I get dressed and I usually will like listen to a podcast or some Abraham Hicks YouTube videos or just whatever I feel like music while I'm getting dressed. And I, I like to put clothes on because I think if you don't, I think if I if I don't put clothes on, I'm not as likely to want to leave my house. I work from home and everything that I do, I have nowhere to be ever unless I make meetings or have meetings. So it's important for me to get dressed because then it will make me want to go out to dinner with friends or want to go work from a coffee shop. And if I don't do that, I'm more likely to not do that. So I always get dressed and put makeup on and do my hair. And, you know, we all know that, right? It's like if you choose to wear yoga pants, that's fine sometimes and it's fun, but you're making a choice for that day. Like you're like, it's going to be a yoga pants kind of a day, right? So I like to get dressed and then I will usually just go ahead and have breakfast. I have about the same thing for breakfast every day. I usually have a green apple cut up with a bunch of cinnamon and cardamom and sea salt and I dip it in a bunch of pumpkin seed butter and I have a really strong cup of herba mate tea and sometimes I'll have other stuff for breakfast as well sometimes oatmeal sometimes you know um like this coconut yogurt I'm into lately with like kiwi cut into it whatever I'll have breakfast doesn't matter what I'm eating and then I usually do the most creative task first. So before I get into my inbox, I will do something creative that I need to get done. And I will handle that. I'll handle all the tasks I need to do before I go into my inbox. Because by doing that, then I'm not letting my to-do list go by the wayside. I'm and just answering the requests of other people through my inbox and using my inbox as my to-do list for the day and usually the things in there are non-urgent requests from others and I do those and abandon all the things that I want to do myself so I don't do that I do all the stuff I need to get done first and I try to do my correspondence my emailing in the afternoon because that takes less willpower and energy for me and I'm freshest in the morning so I try to get the creative stuff done first when my creative juices are a flowing and yeah that's what I do and then I'll just work usually. I really like to go on a walk during the day at some point and get some fresh air and either I'll call a friend or I'll listen to a podcast, probably some of both. And I'll do some, you know, social media maybe during the day is like a break and I'll just keep working during the day. And then at the end of the day, I always make my to-do list for the next day. That's huge. That's so crucial. And if I don't do it, I and I forget all the time but when I don't I always the next day is like wait where am I starting and what's going on and I feel really overwhelmed whereas if I do do it I hit the ground running the next day and I'm actually excited to get out of bed and I know what I need to accomplish and I get up and I do it and it's great so that's really really key 
but it doesn't happen every day, but I really, really try for that. And then I do my second TM meditation. I do the 20 minutes in the evening. And then I usually just make dinner and hang out, either hang out with my roommate or go out to dinner with friends or do something fun or watch a couple TV shows or a movie or, you know, just something like that, something fun, something, probably some YouTube videos. And then I usually read in bed or I will, ideally I'll read in bed, but it doesn't happen that often to be honest with you because I get really tired and I just don't have like, I cannot be bothered to like carry a book. <laughs> so I'll listen to a book in bed is really what I'll do. Or I'll listen to Abraham Hicks to kind of like infuse something really inspiring into my mind before I go to sleep. So yeah, that's all I do in a day. And I am wanting to do vlogs more. So maybe I'll like vlog a day in the life or something. But I really love you guys. This was so much fun. I hope you're not like wildly bored hearing every minute detail about my life. But this was so much fun. I hope you guys had fun. Thank you for submitting your questions. If I did not answer your question, I didn't see it. So send it to me again and I will do this again. But I love you guys. Join the Facebook crew so you can keep up to date on new episodes and stuff and make sure you're on my email list. And if you want to buy the book or two or three, that would be so cool. So you know where to do that. You know where to find me. Thank you guys so much for listening and I will see you very, very soon. The track you're hearing behind me now is by a guy named Kanye West. Have you heard of him? And the song is called I Wonder.